All right, y'all. It's Michael Lee with my stewed colleague, Kevin Knighton. Backwoods Life Podcast, episode 70. And Kevin, I don't even know what a stewed means, but here I am. I don't know. I made that up. That's a compliment. Oh, well, thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Like, like a stewed uh, tomato. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking, you know, a little okra and tomatoes on some rice, you yeah, know, exactly. That sounds pretty good. Actually, I haven't eaten nothing today. Just some rice, some stewed tomatoes. See, I don't like regular tomatoes, like plain raw tomatoes, but I like cooked tomatoes. Does that make any sense at all? It does. Yep. Yeah. I just want to make sure, but I think that's pretty normal. I mean, I don't like raw onions, but I like cooked onions. See, I like onion period, which I don't know. I mean, I like a raw onion, like on something. I ain't going to just go like. Get a big Eat it like plate. an apple. Yeah, I ain't gonna just go in there and take a bite out of onion. That this sounds horrible. And uh, it sounds like your breath was stink pretty bad too. I don't even want to think about it. I'm just saying. You should do that before you go hunt and see if a deer can smell it. That's I'm sure somebody somewhere will tell you that is the absolute best way to do it. <laughs> uh, Cover up your breath scent with onion, you know, because it's all natural. Yeah, just go on Facebook and post that. I'm sure somebody will tell you that's the best thing ever. And then a million people tell you you're the dumbest hunter ever. You should jump off a bridge or something. <laughs> that. Welcome to social media, right? Yep. But guess what? That's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about hunting, hunting season, and hunting strategies. Because I've got topics here. This, this is going to be like the all-inclusive hunting podcast. That's why that's why it was necessity for me to get Kevin on here because he's done all this same stuff, and I need I need more input. This, this well, some people would think you know you had to call in the pros, but really you just had to call in somebody that screwed up all of it enough to be able to tell you what not to do. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I I was uh I, I spoke at the the wild game thing last weekend. And that's one thing I spoke about was making mistakes and messing up when you go hunting and how, you know, you can mess up hunting and you just got to get over it. Just like in life, you make mistakes, you just got to get over them. You got to do better. So, yes, you're correct. You and I together have made enough mistakes that we should never make another one when hunting. But I promise you, next time we go, we probably will. Yeah, we might not should, but we're going to. Exactly. We got a lot of practice making them, so we're getting good at it. <laughs> well, you learn better from mistakes. I mean, you know, when everything goes right. That's just a happy memory. But when you have a little hardship, you, you seem to remember that better. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I want to dive into these topics. Um, I don't really know how deep we can go into some of these because, I mean, some of this you and I have great experience and some we don't have a whole lot, but we've got enough to be like guide people, I guess. Let's do the first thing. I, I kind of, these are, I mean, they're kind of all hunting related, but they're kind of bouncing around. The first thing we'll throw out there is out of state hunts. You and I both have hunt, hunted plenty of different states, right? We have. And <laughs> and my thing with it, I mean, I and you know, I got these topics off of uh, off Facebook. You know, I made a post and everybody's like, talk about this, talk about that. Well, out of state hunts. I mean, that's a broad term, right? I mean, you just, I mean, a lot of people ask me and you both all the time, like. Hey man, where, where's your, where's a good place to go hunting? Well, there's a lot of variables there. Like, do you want to hunt with a bow or a rifle? Do you want what you know? Do you want to hunt, um, you know, whitetail, elk, mule deer, antelope, whatever? Um, what's your budget? That's probably the biggest question nowadays. What's your budget? And then, um, 
you know, what, when do you want to go? Like, there's a lot of questions there. But I've got something I need to throw in there before you even get to all of those parts of the equation. No, I'm not digging into all of them, but go ahead. <laughs> About whenever you do pick the state that you're going to go to, regardless of the time and all that fun stuff, you know, a lot of people make the mistake. They grew up hunting in one place all their life, and they, you know, know basically the rules and how things work there. And then they go off to another state and they just assume that the rules work out there just like they did at their house. Uh-huh. And that just ain't the case most times. Yeah. That, that you know, whether it's baiting or, you know, how many you can shoot or all kind of different rules can change from one state to another. I mean, something as simple as making sure you've got the correct hunting license. You know, you got to have this stamp or this, this other license that goes with this. Uh, hunter orange requirements, you know, in your state, you may not have to wear orange, but in this state, you got to wear a orange vest, orange hat, orange boots, gloves, and, you know, this state, you got to wear orange hat. And that gets a lot of people. Like, they, they just make assumptions going into stuff. But um, the biggest thing is simple enough is making sure you've got a hunting license. Because I don't know how many people, how many people do you think you've heard stories over the years that have gone to, you know, Ohio or, or Illinois or whatever, and they just ballsy enough to like, I'm just not going to buy a hunt license. I'm just going to go hunt. I won't get caught. Yeah, that, uh, that's not a, a any dice I'm ready. They're willing to roll because, uh, just as sure as you say that, they're going to be somebody checking you the first day. Well, and I heard a story this past weekend about a guy and they're super nice people. And he's like, man, we went up to Ohio. My buddy, you know, he went with me and, Man, he killed this deer, like a 180-inch deer. I was like, wow, that's awesome. He said, well, guess what? I was like, huh. He didn't buy a hunting license, and he got caught. That's my thing. Is like, what's the most expensive hunting license for a white-tailed deer that you've ever seen or purchased yourself? Uh, Probably about a little over $400. All right. Prime example, I think, I think what was it, like Iowa's now is like four or 500 bucks. Illinois is up there kind of like that. Man, yep. and then, so you go out there and you kill the biggest deer of your life, and then you're going to roll the dice on, you know, oh, crap. Now I'm going to, now, I mean, you know, you kill 180, 200-inch deer, everybody's going to know about it. Yeah, if I'm going to cut corners, it ain't going to be on the license. No, but I don't, I mean, and that's just, people think, well, I just, I ain't got to have one, I'll save some money, you know, and it's like, you've already spent the gas, you know, the food, lodging, maybe outfit, or which if you're with a good outfitter, they're going to make sure you got your license. Although they'll get in trouble. So, but anyway, that's just one little bit of example. Like I said, we could talk the whole podcast about out-of-state hunts and, you know, what to do. But my best advice is do your research. Find a reputable outfitter. Uh, don't call the outfitter and ask for references. That's what a lot of people are like. Oh, well, we got references. Well, of course they got, they got people that hunt with them every year that they're buddies with. They're going to give them a good recommendation. Get on their Facebook pages and watch, look for comments on there. Um, there's a website. I cannot remember the name of it, but it basically has outfitters like that listed out and people are good, bad, ugly. And, and you know, you're going to get both sides of the fence on depending on who you hunt with and where you go, but do, do your homework figure out what states you want to hunt. Like Kevin said, read the regulations, find out what you need to do. If you need preference points or got to put in for a draw, you got draw deadlines. Um, but then if it's a state like Texas, just find a good place, call them, book a hunt, go on. 
I mean, it's just some every state's different. So, you got ain't else? none of us good at reading instruction manuals or books, but this is one time you probably want to pick up that regulation book and kind of leaf through it a little bit. Yeah, and stuff changes every year. Like, yeah, I mean, you just never know. Well, and even stuff you wouldn't think, like. If you go on bow hunting, some states don't allow you to have a lighted knock on your arrow that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't understand that rule, but some states that's the rule. And if you didn't look into it, you wouldn't know that. Right. And like in Illinois, you got to have a, either your bow in a case or a, a lock on the cam so you can't draw your bow back while in a vehicle. Just little things like that. Yeah, and all it takes is getting pulled over and checked one time. You know, you got the biggest deer you ever killed on the back of the truck. A game warden sees it and pulls you over to check out your license and everything. And, oh, well, you just had your bow laying in the back seat. And it wasn't locked up or nothing. Well, there's a ticket. Yeah. Enjoy your trophy deer, you know. Uh-huh. Or he could be like, well, did you shoot this thing off side road? And do we need to go back and investigate where you were at? I mean, it really just causes a whole yeah. whole ball of wax that you don't want to deal with. And you don't have to deal with it if you follow the law. Yeah, just educate yourself. And speaking of following the law, the next thing I want to hit on was public land. Like you and I, we've, we've hunted some public land before. I know we, we shot some antelope on public land in Wyoming and we've hunted like walk-in properties in Kansas and stuff like that, which are my opinion. If you can find the right public land spots, you and man, you could be in hog heaven on, on a good piece of dirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially out West, there's a lot of good public land that's available and you know, sometimes you know, you're talking about Facebook and stuff and different groups that talk about outfitters and things like that. Well, there's Facebook groups that talk about all that stuff too. And you'd be surprised. You may uh, get online and make a new friend and shoot, help each other out, you know, tell them about some places where you live and they tell you about some places where they live. Next thing you know, everybody's happy hunters enjoying life together. Or even swapping out hunts where, Hey, I'll take you come out here and go hog hunting with me. And okay, you can come out here and go deer hunting with me. And that might be yep. everybody gets, you know, good deal. But, but the public land side is another thing you really need to do your research on. Um, need to know where property lines are. And a lot of the apps nowadays have maps that outline the public property. So you can find walk in property or, you know, there's a lot of quota hunt stuff and draw hunts on different public lands. Um, and they have different regulations. Like, I mean, most of the places like here in Georgia, you can't uh, attach a stand. Like you can't put in like a, like screwing steps or nothing like that and put a, a stand up. You can use a climber. Um, you can go, you know, obviously sit on the ground, still hunt, and stalk and stuff like that. But um, I saw a, a thing on Twitter yesterday that somebody in Iowa went into a public piece of property and just, they could, so just so they could get off the ground a little bit, they took a ladder. And they screwed a daggum kitchen chair into the tree, like just just so they could get up there and sit on a sit on a daggum kitchen chair uh, tree. But uh, I was like, one, that's extremely dangerous. But two, I mean, it's illegal. You can't put screws into trees on public property. So, sure enough, I mean, if the game warden found that, they're gonna go easing up in there, seeing if somebody's hunting on it, and they're probably gonna get caught if they are. So. Just stuff, stupid stuff like that. But there's a lot of good public land, like you said, especially out west. And I think, um, I mean, that's where we've always hunted, you know, like Kansas and Wyoming. Like I said, I can't really recall anything else that we've hunted as far as public goes. Uh, well, you you mule deer hunted in Arizona. Ain't that public land out there? Yeah, it was public and drawing tags and all that. But 
the other thing, like, especially if you go into somewhere like Kansas, you know, a lot of those little walk-ins are little small pieces of property. I would research and find other small walk-ins close to that one mm-hmm. so that you have plan B and C if you get there and plan A falls through. Cause, you know, sometimes some of those places you get there and you may have even rode out there and kind of scouted it out a few months ahead of time and then you get there and everything changes, you know, so there's 10 people set up in the place you planned on hunting or something. Yeah. Um, so have a plan B and a plan C to, Oh, well, that's okay. This other one is 15 miles down the road. I can run over there and hunt, you know? Right. That's right. And that's, that's a good strategy too, to be able to bounce around and find somewhere that maybe somebody hadn't been, or even if they have been, especially like turkey hunting, if you, you know, you go in there and somebody may have tried that spot at daylight, didn't do any good and you bees back in there and some turkeys have come off another property and made their way in there in the middle of the day and then you can strike one up and be successful. So there's, there's a lot of stuff there. Deer hunting the same way. I mean, we've, we've, remember we hunted out there in Kansas and man, we had to walk in a mile probably carrying everything to get set up to, to bow hunt. And uh, I mean, we saw a ton of deer and I, well, you kill one. Uh, I don't know if that, I don't know if where you shot yours was on that walk-in property or not. Yeah, it was on the edge of the walk-in near, uh, it was actually, we had permission to hunt the private that was right by it, but, uh, ended up in, on the public walk-ins where we had the success. So. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Even if you, and you never know, you may get permission from that landowner next door and use it all to your advantage. So there's a lot of stuff. You just got to do a lot of homework. That's the biggest thing with it. When any of this, when you're, whenever you're leaving your home turf, you got to do homework. You can't just, I mean, unless you got to, you know, you find a good outfitter and they, they hold your hand and guide you, which is awesome. But if you're trying to do the do it yourself kind of hunts, you, you, you need to, you need to spend, I mean, I'll be honest with you. If say if me and you was going to go turkey hunting, you know, this spring somewhere on public property, we, we need to be doing our homework right now or last year even. So. And then the first time you ever go there, that's your, your biggest education trip, you know, where you're learning things. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to that same place every year, then shoot, it gets a little better and a little bit easier every time. That's right. Um, shifting gears, um, kind of hitting on that a little bit. Um, one topic was scouting and setups. Well, just like you said, if it, I mean, scouting setups is a broad term, and we're not talking about public land or anything like that per se, but it can be applied to that. But say on your own property, um, because you and I know from experience over the last five or six years on our property, we have been learning and learning and learning and adapting and changing and watching. And one thing that helps our property is that we do hunt other places. So it's not like we're, you know, over hunting it by any means, but, um, man, scouting and setups is a broad term as well, because of depending on which part of the country you're in, like down here, you know, we, on our property have a gas line and a power line. So those are two spots to, if you've got any open areas like that with thick cover around it, that's like automatic key in spots. It's just like having a field. It don't even matter if the field's planted in anything. Deer are going to mill around and feed through and browse through an open field. So any open areas you got, deer are going to travel. They're going to cross, um, especially next to food sources, thick cover, or even water. So that's just like a 1,000 foot overview of where to look to start with. And then it's just fine tuning, like detail oriented after that. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And you know, aerial maps and things are, 
great tools to look at and, and make a plan ahead of time before you set foot on the property. Um, and even like our lease, I mean, shoot, the first couple of years we had it, we'd be looking at an aerial map or even Google Maps or something like that. And we'd get in camp and be like, hey, look at this spot right here. We need to go walk in there and check this out. Because I was looking at it on the map and it looks like, you know, say there's a ridge runs right here and big oaks and it may be some good visibility. Let's go in there and pick out a spot, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we go in there. And even though on that map it looks good, we may get in there and go, okay, never mind. This is way thicker than I thought, you know. Or we go in there and say, hey, you know, if we get the chainsaw in here, there's a big, big tree right here, and there's some acorns trees that they're feeding on. Let's open this thing up and make it a good spot. So um, you're right, man. Them aerial photos. Well, and the biggest thing is learning the property, just how it lays out. Um, you know, down here we can hunt over bait. So, of course, what we do is we go put out some some feed of some kind, whether that be corn or some antler king attractants or something like that, that get deer moving in the area, then it's okay, well, in this area, we ain't got but one doe showing up. We probably need to go, you know, kind of try somewhere else. And, you know, the fortunate thing about down here is we have really good deer numbers. You know, it's not like we're got a thousand acres and there's 20 deer on the whole place. So that helps us the learning curve faster because then if you start drawing in a handful of them, then you're going to eventually draw in more and more and more. Um, but places say like, say we're going to go to Iowa and you and I both hunted Iowa. <clears throat> I mean, you can't hunt over bait. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of hardwoods, um, some CRP and some fields. And then you really have to hone in on travel corridors and food, food sources. And especially if you're trying to bow hunt, then you really got to isolate that down to, okay, where's a spot that I can get a deer in bow range? Yeah. And that, you know, you can scout it all you want on aerial and you can even scout it all you want walking and looking. But whenever you go actually sit in the tree, you still may be scouting, you know, mm-hmm. you may be sitting in a tree and you thought this was a perfect spot and there's acorns dropping all around you and deer are supposed to walk right through here and there's a great trail. But then you actually hunt it and they're walking, you know, 75 yards up the hill the other direction every day. Yeah. So. I mean, how, how many times have we sat there and done that? I'm like, all right, man, we got to move to that. You know, we got to move 50 yards this way or 100 yards that way. You know, it happens a lot. And then sometimes, you know, you get in a hurry to move because they're all over there and you move over there and the next day you watch them where you sat the first day. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> well, I know you were in, uh, you were in Illinois. Uh, last year and you, y'all, y'all picked the tree to go get in the lock on and looked over there and that gum shooter bucks walking right in front of the shooting house across the field. Yeah. I mean, and that was the one morning we almost got in that shooting house because of snow. And we said, no, nah, you know, the snow's about quit and we ain't seen anything walk by that stand. And sure enough, there he went right, you know, 20 yards from the blind. Mm-hmm. But in four and a half days of hunting, that was the only deer that we saw walk 20 yards from that blind. And you know, probably the biggest deer you saw almost. <laughs> right. Uh huh. <laughs> just wait. I mean, that's that welcome to bow hunting. That's the best thing to say there. Oh yeah. If that'd been a week later in muzzleloader season, he'd have been laid on the ground. Well, we'll shift gears again. We got three more topics left. The next one, I'm just going to jump on and cause I think the last two will be tied together pretty good, but the next one is trapping and why so you and i both agree that trapping is a very very important tool for your property uh, especially if you want more turkeys and more farms 
Yeah. The one thing we've just now started trying to address in Georgia a little bit is, you know, helping the turkey population. Raccoons, the numbers are, when you start looking at trail camera pictures and kind of adding things up, there are a lot of raccoons these days. Yeah. Certain times of the year on our property, um, it's, it's like unreal at the amount of raccoons. And I, and I know it's, you know, there, there is seasons in Georgia, um, there, as far as hunting raccoons, trapping is pretty much year round. But I mean, everybody thinks raccoons are these nice little fuzzy, cuddly animals like a, like a pet. But I promise you, they are not. They are not even close. They will tear your face off and throw it back at you. They're mean <laughs> little ninjas with masks on and, I'm telling you right now, like, cause I mean, we trap, we trap, I don't know how many we trapped on our property in, in one weekend, what, like 20 or 30 raccoons and possums out of there. Yeah. Something like that. But I mean, that's the point though, is anything that will eat a turkey egg will eat a turkey egg. That's just what you got to look at it. So, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be the guy that, you know, I'm sitting out there and a, and a raccoon with four babies comes along. I'm just going to wipe them out. I'm, I mean, I'm not that cold hearted about this thing, but. If they get in, if they're big enough to get in a trap, then they're big enough to not be around anymore. So, um, but it's part of the management process. We're not going to kill all of them. We're not, there's no way it's impossible to trap all of them. We just can't do it. Um, just like deer, you can't go out there and shoot all the deer in the woods. It's not happening. So, um, but we can do our part, keep numbers in check and that increases your turkey population. And then uh, the flip side of the, on the deer side is your coyotes. People don't realize how many pawns are lost to coyotes every year. And um, down here, you'd probably agree with me on this. It, it's hard to even see a coyote. Yeah, most of the time we see them is when you're sitting in a deer blind in deer season. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we hear them. And, you know, the, there's an episode that aired uh, the Buck Days hunt a few weeks ago when Trey was sitting in a, in a blind over um, in southwest Georgia. And there's what two coyotes out there at one time, and when they start yipping back and forth at each other, it sounded like they was ten out there. Yeah, yeah that was amazing. <laughs> and, and and people don't realize like you, when people say, "Oh, there's a pack of coyotes. There's, they've got to be you know five, ten, twenty of them over there." It's, it might be three, you know, it's just, just just from what we learned from watching that video. And he, I think Trey even said some of that in the video. Like if I wasn't looking at this right now with my own eyes, I'd swear there was a whole huge pack of coyotes right here and. It was two going back and forth and the echoing in the woods and everything else. And what's crazy about that, there's two coyotes are at the end of that grown up field and he's got two bucks standing right out there between him and the coyotes and they're just watching the coyotes and finally they kind of trot off. But the, your coyotes, they, they will attack and eat a deer. There's no doubt about that. But two of them like that, they're not going to be able to go and take down a, a healthy, mature deer. I mean, I just don't, I mean, it's, 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 I just don't think they can do it, to be honest with you. Now, you get more than that in it, that's a different scenario. Or if you get a deer that's injured, but that's nature. I mean, that's how it works, right? Well, that's, especially based on that video you're talking about, those deer obviously were not in fear for their lives. Now, they wasn't going to let the coyote come up there and lick their face or anything, but mm-hmm. they, uh, they, they were not running scared just because, there was a coyote standing over there, 75 or 80 yards away from them. Right. And, and the other side, and that's a lot of people think, you know, oh man, there's coyotes in here and they're making all kinds of noise. They just ruined my hunt. 
Well, them coyotes could be 200 yards away and the deer might be 50 yards away and the deer don't care. The deer hear that stuff. That's nature. They hear that stuff all the time. Like you said, they ain't going to go up there and touch noses per se. But I was in Kansas a long time ago and uh, I did video a coyote and an eight-point buck eating in the same corn pile. So huh. I'm just saying <laughs> anything's possible out there. And we, you know, just like me and you, we, we've seen turkey cam pictures of a deer and a and one boar hog eating it at the same feeder. Yep. So, I mean, that was on our property, which that boar hog probably not around anymore, but that deer might be. <laughs> and, I, and I will say, too, that video you're talking about, if I was sitting there in that blind and I heard all the ruckus and carry on that those coyotes were doing, mm-hmm. I would have assumed, you know what, we ain't going to see anything here for at least an hour or so because they've blowing out these woods. And then, like I say, five minutes later, Trey had two or three bucks standing there in between him and the coyotes out there. So, and I think actually the, one of the bucks walked out of the woods to look to like, see what was going on. Right. To investigate. Yeah. To be like, okay, how close are they? Okay. They're there. Okay. I'm just going to walk away to the other side of the field. And the coyotes, they just watched the deer walk off and went back the other way. Like it, like, okay, well, you know, not today, buddy, not today. Yeah. So anyway, but the whole point of that is trapping is a big part of management on your property for turkey, for deer. Um, just, I mean, it's, it's just get out there and, and watch just, just like what we're talking about in this video that we learned from. And we need, we need to post that video, by the way, Kevin. I mean, I know a good guy that can pull that out for us. Yeah, we can, we can get that. That'd be pretty neat to, to share that video. Um, but with all that being said, that's a good educational piece that there's a lot of misconceptions out there too, you know, I mean, uh, about coyotes and how they are. And, you know, I've, I've heard different stuff about, you know, if you shoot the male, the male coyote, on your property, uh, more males will come in to take over his territory and, and try to get that female. So I, I don't, I don't know the factuality behind that, but I've, I've heard that multiple times. So there might be something there. And at the end of the day, I don't want to draw more in, but also I can't allow, you know, that, that female and male combo probably take out a lot of deer cause you know, she's got to feed pups, you know? So, but I would say that a, deer, a coyote's primary diet does not consist of deer all the time. I, I'm thinking more like rabbits and mice and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I would agree. So, anyway, that's trapping in a nutshell. Um, and and you know maybe we can do something down the road and get get some guys that we that know way more about it than us on here, like our, our buddy Kyle Hankins. Like he he taught us how to be professional trappers. Yeah, the uh, only. Coyote trapping I've ever done involved clicking the safety off when one walked across a food plot, but they, uh, there's a lot of people know a lot more about trapping those than I do. Yeah. That's why I was talking about our buddy Kyle. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Man, but he's a raccoon whisperer <laughs> and he does not, and he does not forget about, he don't, he don't forget about a trap and leave it in the woods, by the way. Yeah. He, he counts them and remembers every single yeah, one of them. Every one of them. And I will not find them with a lawnmower. I promise you. Yeah. Nope, yeah. Not whatsoever. Dropped in the clean yard. Yeah, that we yeah. Mm-hmm. Sound like a bomb going off. I'm scared to look at the <laughs> lawnmower blades, by the way. So, um, next thing I was gonna hit on, and that we'll tie these together, is uh small property tactics and food plots, because I think that can go hand in hand, right? Yeah, whether it's small property or big property, it uh. Food goes a long ways. No, no doubt. And the one way 
um, especially in states that it's not legal to, to feed, the one way to draw in deer uh, for sure is by food plots and turkeys. I mean, I mean, good gosh, how many turkeys have we shot in food plots? Yep, and you know, talking about especially small property, it's one thing to rely on a deer just to happen to, you know, have a trail across your small piece of property. But a food plot, you may be pulling deer from your neighbors a couple miles away, you know. And and we've learned that. I mean, if you're especially like in areas that we hunt where there's really not a lot of agriculture around us, there's there's not a lot of people that have the, the land layout to plant food plots. So by you going in and having an area you can plant, and I mean, you plant what you can plant, but the bigger the plot, the better. And one that's going to last longer, then it's going to hold more deer. You'd rather have a spot where you're sitting there and watching four or five acres where you can see 20 deer out there to hunt instead of a spot that you plant a half acre and only five deer come out there. And then five deer are regulars and can eat that whole food plot up in a week because we've seen that firsthand. But with that yep. being said, um, you know, you can only plant where you can plant, whether that's a stretch of road, whether that's an old logging area or even a field edge, like if you know, you got crops out there, deer are going to go out in the crops, but those are going to be harvested and taken out. And then if you got late season food plots in there, those can be really good spots to hunt on field edges. And there's even a lot of, you know, like no sweat products and things like that, that you can go find a kind of open spot in the woods and rake it out with a rake and get some leaves and stuff off the ground and expose some bare dirt and still make a pretty decent food plot. Exactly. And then going to the small property part of this, you know, we've got the, the, our one piece that's 125 acres right there. And I mean, that's a, a really good piece of property. Well, one, you're at the mercy of your neighbors, but also your terrain. And we have a diverse terrain of cutovers, tall pines, medium pines, and small pines kind of all mixed together. Um, of course, in Georgia, that's welcome to, to pine trees. You know, that's, that's money down here. But... You know, on a small piece of property, you may have a spot in Illinois or Iowa, Missouri, whatever, where you just got one funnel or something, one hardwood ridge that runs through the middle of the property. Everything else is fields. So you just really got to key in on really good travel areas. And then if you've got good food sources, that's that's like, you know, cherry on top, like a big hardwood bottom that's got white oaks in it or something like that that they're feeding in. Yeah, it like you said, big travel areas are are key and, and food is, I'd say those are one and two right there. Yep. And, um, again, remember on a small piece of property, you're at the mercy of your neighbors. So if you got guys right across the fence that are just banging away, um, you know, shooting everything that comes across there, you may have an uphill battle. Um, but you know, if it's the right spot and you got good neighbors, and you got good cover. Cover is a big piece of any kind of property. It doesn't matter if you've got 10,000 acres. If there's no cover on it, you don't, you're not going to have areas that really hold deer for you. And that's, that's a big key. And um, I know, especially like in the Midwest and states where there's not a lot of cover, that's why you good pieces of property out there might have CRP in it and stuff like that where deer can bed in there. But then a lot of guys will go in there on, even if it's a open hardwood ridges, They'll kind of select, cut down some trees, you know, um, sweet gums or black walnuts, just invasive trees, cut them down and just leave them laying, leave brush tops out there so that deer can bed around in those things on those hillsides. And, uh, I mean, heck, you've hunted 
uh, Illinois enough, especially late season, then you're bed all over those ridges like that. Yeah, especially when it gets cold and snows on the ground, you'd be surprised. What looked like a fairly open area can't hold a lot of deer. That's a fact. So, you know, just get out there and learn from it. That's the biggest thing with all this stuff is, I mean, spending time in the woods and making mistakes, learning from them, listening to folks like us that, I mean, after all this time, you'd think we know what we're doing, but, you know, it's all subjective, of course. Um, well, you, you hit on something a minute ago there. I want to throw one last little tidbit on. All right. You're talking about pine trees and everything. In a lot of areas around where our lease is and a lot of, you know, Georgia and Florida, you see pine trees getting cut. Everybody, you know, that's what they plan them for. Eventually they're going to cut them. Uh-huh. And then you'll hear people say, well, you know, I had this piece of property and it, it was great, big pines, and they came in there and they clear cut it. Now it's horrible. I'm never going to hunt it again. Uh-huh. Well, I can agree with you that it might be a little bit rocky the first year after they cut it and it's wide open, clear cut. But you give that a year or two and you will be shocked the deer that that place will hold whenever it starts growing back up. That is one of my favorite things to hunt is a probably two to five year old clear cut that's been replanted and left alone because it's got food growing all out in there because the sunlight gets in it. It's got an immense amount of cover out there and deer down here just love it. And if you can find a transition area or, or, or lucky enough, you know, let a land, landowner uh, let you get out there and put about an acre food plot on the edge of that, but or in the middle of it even, like you, you're going to be very, very happy you put that work in because you're right. That is some of the best stuff around here to hunt. You're just loving it. And this, like I said, it's full of food until the pine trees get up enough to make a canopy and then that lower stuff starts dying out. But even then it's great cover. So don't, yeah, you're right. Don't be discouraged by that. And guess what? Honestly, them big fresh cutovers like that, especially in November, they're great spots to rifle hunt for big bucks because they'll run them does out in that open on the edges of those things. And uh, that way they can see where she's going and keep her away from other bucks. And you, you might get lucky and kill a big boy out there. Yeah, I can understand pulling up to your gate the first time the shock that you might see, but uh, don't be discouraged. It's still a good spot. Everything's a work in progress, man. And that's just part of timber management, and that's good. I mean, it's good all the way around for, for properties. And as long as you don't pull up there and, like, the entire property is clear cut from one gate to the other corner, and you just go, well, it's going to be a minute. <laughs> um, be a good spot next year. Yeah, give it a couple years. It'll be really good, but that – that kind of, it does gut punch you a little bit when you show up and go, man, there went my spot. You know, you've had a pretty, yeah. little, pretty little pine hill you were hunting on, always saw a bunch of deer and it's gone, but deer leave for a while, they'll come back. Well, y'all, that's all the time we got today. We covered more in one podcast and probably most do in a whole season of podcasts, but yeah, like I said, we're the 30,000 foot overview experts, not the super detailed guys with uh only a 30 40 minute time limit so hopefully well, somebody that, learned something if you took notes and wrote real big you might have covered up half a post-it note with all that wonderful knowledge yeah and in, at the end of the day it might be like yeah just i'll turn into the next podcast i might get more <laughs> out of that one I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's a few tips on there y'all please watch back with life tuesday nights 10 p.m on sportsman channel 
you'll see my beautiful face and Kevin Knighton's beautiful face out there doing what we love to do and a lot more people that come and go with us that we enjoy spending time in the woods but uh hop on youtube watch all of our stuff over there we just passed a hundred thousand subscribers on youtube right kevin like yay that uh we've been waiting on that one for a long time that has been a lot of a lot of years of hard work and um i'm glad we're there i don't know why it's just like a it was, it was a check mark you know the next milestone on youtube after that one is a is a one million I was, uh, for some reason, I was thinking there was a 500,000, but I think you're right. Yeah. I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. We might be really old and gray by then. Well, by then there'll be some other kind of fancy online thing. YouTube probably be, we'll be talking about, remember we used to be on that YouTube thing? <laughs> I, I hope we're still talking, but I hope we ain't doing nothing on social media no more by then. I'm just, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm tired and worn out. I just hope we're sitting on the porch drinking coffee, watching turkeys in the yard or something. Yep. Well, y'all have a great rest of the week. Backwoods Life Podcast Episode 70 is now complete. Next milestone for this will be 100. There you go. Only 30 weeks away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all be good out there. Be kind.